Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we go through uh, Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological order and uh, try to summarize and talk about the interesting things to us, at least, um, about the series. Uh, this week we are talking about MS08 Team, Episode 7, 8, and The Miller's Report. Um, do you want to say why we why we're doing that strange combination of things? Because it's more or less chronological to the show. Because we <laughs> didn't watch episode nine yet. What's that? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched episode nine, <laughs> and and by watching Miller's report, you've well, more or less watched episode nine. Okay. Well, no, no. To no, be fair, I have watched episode nine, just not. Recently, yeah, not recently enough to. I know I'm just not recently enough to talk about it. Just you know, just kind of want to make sure we're grounding things. But yes, uh, Miller's report. Despite if you look at the order in which things came out, it would not come after episode eight. But as far as the order to watch it, you would watch Miller's report after episode eight, unless you want to be just as confused as everyone was when, in the nineties. When uh, would it have fallen if it came if you watched it chronologically, like when it actually came out? It would replace seven and eight. More or less. So like it happens it happens part the way through eight. Yeah, it seems like it overlaps. It actually seems like it overlaps with both episodes. Yeah, well, it happens it about episode eight. Does its recap of episode seven and then goes back through episode eight. Right. Yeah. So it happens part of the way through episode eight, um, and then the end of Miller's report happens at the end of eight. Yep. So to answer your question, Luke, if you were to watch it in the release order, yes, then. Uh, you would watch it after episode 10. Soup's weird. Yep. F episode 10 came out a week before Miller's Report. Now, Miller's Report, well, I'll mention that when we get to it. We should just get back to what we were so, doing. So I think we're going to cover the battle in three dimensions next episode. But when does that technically occur? Because I I didn't get a good feel for like where it was in, in the whole arc of the show. It was either really early or really late. It's in episode nine because he's got the easy eight. Okay. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Yep. Uh, there's some things that say in between nine and 10. Um, uh, for me, it actually fits better in with episode eight in one part, except that it would have been impossible for Shiro to have the easy eight already at that point. So it doesn't right. really quite work. Well, I don't think Elidor's back until the end of episode eight. Yeah, he pops back at the end of that, um, or actually, maybe even he—he he may not even show up. He um, does not. He, it, I think he shows up in the post scene of episode eight, right? Um, I don't know. We'll we'll get there. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get there. I think we're we're skipping a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about episode seven. So episode seven is called reunion. So when we left off with episode six, um, the the um. The MS team had um, basically surprised attack the Absolus. Mm Aina -hmm. um, was obviously the pilot. Uh, Shiro had kind of like attached himself to the Absolus and was getting dragged, al uh, dragged along the side of this canyon. She was trying um, to scrape him off like gum. Yeah, she was trying to just rip him off. And then like at the very end of the episode... Um, they heard each other talk and they're like, yo, whoa, what the fuck? And then the episode ends. Yeah. They were like careening out into the sky or something like that. And, uh, uh they, they dawned on them that it, who each of the other one was. Um, the absolute is not a very good, uh, mobile suit. It seems to go out of control a lot. This was the, what was it, the absolute two at this point? Yeah. I think you had mentioned in the last episode that the transition between the one and the two is kind of not ever, Standard, they, never, but they never seemed to talk about it. Yeah. That I recall. Because one didn't get destroyed. It just got like. Well, I mean, it seems like they tested the first one. It went well. So they did some stuff and then they were testing it again. And I think that's a, like when they're doing the second test, that's Opsilus 2. Well, I don't think it completely went well because remember, it went out of control. And that was yeah. part of the reason they had even found it in the first place. True. 
Yeah, watching the show, yeah, I, I never had a sense that it ever was a different machine mm-hmm. until you know, repeat viewings or looking up stuff online or notes and model kits. If you just watch it, it seems like it's the same machine. And yeah, there was no indicator. I had to look it up to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like some updates to the hardware and software to like less crazy, but that's, you know, I feel like, I feel like there was some indicator that the Opsilus three was a thing and we knew it was the Opsilus three. And that's why we were so confused about the Opsilus two. I don't remember. So, yeah. I mean, I've watched ahead and they don't ever really, they just call it the Opsilus the entire show. Like they never yeah. say one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. They, they just say Opsilus. I don't remember where I got that then. Maybe I just read it. So, so they write, they write it down and I think it's because there's different iterations of it. Um, but they, they never like say, Hey, this is the Opsilus one. I think it's just, this is the Opsilus project. And yeah. yeah it is what it is. Right. So like when, whenever he delivers, whenever Guineas delivers the Opsilus, it's the Opsilus, right? Right. Like, oops, we left an encryption key in one of the pieces of software that anybody can get into. We got to let's update that and give it a new number. (laughs) Opsilus three looks different from the two though. Right. Yeah. It does. So let's go ahead and, I guess, start with episode seven now that we've kind of set up the the things. Uh, Odessa has happened um, at this point, and the Xeon troops are uh, in the process of retreating. Um, They're going back to uh, Guineas' base. I don't think they ever named the base, but basically they, you know, the Admiral knows that Guineas' base is there. Um, He's been there. And they're retreating towards the base. Um, at that point, uh, Shiro is still hanging to the Opsilus. Um, and it's like flying super high in the sky. Mm-hmm. And Shiro gets this great idea. I'm going to get outside of my mobile suit and like crawl across the Opsilus. Yeah, it's pretty stupid. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that was he did it, and then he kind of just like wandered about on the out of control mobile suits, like, and then eventually was like, ah, I should get the cord. Yeah, I can tie myself to. Let me do that real quick because at that yeah. point, it, I, I have a little note that says he gets smart and ropes himself to the mobile suit after a while. <laughs> um, did we know? Did we ever figure out exactly why he did that? Was it just to go check on Ina? Or did he have some ulterior motive there? Because it seemed well, yeah. like he needed to go to go get to Ina. He was trying to get to Ina because he knew it was he knew she was there, um, and she didn't. It, it seemed like she didn't hear him for the longest time because he was like yelling her name, yelling her name. Well, you know, so no response. And then eventually, like she opens the the door to her to the Opsilus, and she's like, "Oh, Shiro, what's up, man?" <laughs> Well, you got to remember um, that they met each other one time for like what, like three hours, something along those lines. And this was months ago, and he recognized her voice over a radio. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive, dude. It's love. He's been it crushing. Also, he's been crushing love. since then. What that? He's been crushing since then. Like he's just he's obsessed. He's uh, like doing. He's probably sniffing her watch and stuff. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, that was that was more than Lane could handle. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, at some point she like gives him parts that gets his uh, Gundam moving again, and this is all happening in midair. Yeah, they have like some transistors or something like that. They're like really tiny. So it's yeah, like handsome. Like She's like, "This will fix your mobile suit." <laughs> yeah, it looked like fuses or something like that. Yeah. Um, which leads me to believe there's no major mechanical problems with that. With the mobile suit, it was just a crunched up computer component or something. I don't know. Yeah, getting yeah. scraped against a mountain and then like slammed everywhere and then flying into the middle of space or not in, in the middle of the sky. So uh, you, just, you just need a few fuses. When she when she hands him off the fuses and parts and stuff, he's like, "Aren't you worried? Like this is a secret, like a military secret?" And she's like, "No, these are just like standard off the shelf parts." And that immediately is where either of their commitment to their home country or resolve to maintain state secrets ends completely forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty loose and flimsy to begin with. Yeah. Right. But this is definitely, you know, well, then again, maybe this is uh, 
just something that ends on you can just buy off the street. You never know. They've got so many mobile suit types that maybe so. And I'd be yeah. surprised if um, if it was like just standard mobile suit fare. Like if the feds hadn't gotten a Zaku at some point, like what are they doing? Yeah, exactly. There's so many of them. So, yeah. And then we have a uh, kind of a cheesy moment here where we've got um, the ground Gundam working again. And he's going to like fires the thrusters to brace the impact because the Gundam and Absolutes are coming up on a mountain. Like they're going to crash land and he thinks he's going to die and go off a cliff. So he confesses his love, but then they don't, but she's just totally shook by it anyway. She um, was, I, know, I love you. Yep. And she's like, what? Huh? And then the Gundam falls over, but he ejects. So here's the difference between like, how old was I? I don't know, 14 year old Luke when I watched this versus, uh, you know, 30 year old Luke. Um, 14 year old Luke didn't ever question that. 30 year old Luke, I'm like, you know, we say, don't say you love someone, man. There's a lot of commitment there, like mortgages and taxes and stuff. Like that's, uh, God, that's Bhopal. Well, Shiro is, uh, I never looked up how old he is. Is He's he probably, probably 16 because he looks to be an, a normal adult. I don't know. So that works, right? I'm going to look that I, up. I, I'd put him probably like 18 or so. I'm going to bet 20. Fair fair enough. Um, yeah, it didn't seem too weird for me because, I mean, he had been fanboying over her for a while. 23. 23. Right, I, was, I was about to cut in with that. Yeah, 23. He had been fanboying her over for over her for a while, and you know he thought he was about to die. So, like, you know, why not? I mean, you hear a lot of the the military guys, um, you know, right before they go off to to um, to fight, getting married because you know why not, right? Um, it's your it's your endorphins at that point. Who cares? Like, right. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, hey. so he had, he ejected. He he mostly survived. Um, he's like he find he's like sees his Gundam. He's like, oh, it's warm, so I'm gonna crawl crawl to it. And then he like passes out because again they're in these like snowy mountains and there's like a bad storm. Um, yeah. The storm's so bad that like neither of their uh, teams can go out and and save them. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, there's the whole thing with you know Norris is out looking and his search party has to go back and. You know, Guineas, they could do this really quick cut of him thinking that, yeah, all is fine anyway, because when the Gundams, uh, they don't say what it is, they say like signal, but uh, probably it's IFF or something. They can see that it goes offline and he's like, oh, well, the Absolute's won. So we're, we're, we're good. We're fine. Yeah. His, he, like, he had like a, um, what was it? Like a, a, a distress signal that went off and then it like disip- the signal went off, disappeared after the signal like alerted and they're like, Oh, well that means he died because distress signal went off and then it disappeared. So Opsilus must've blown it up. That's probably, that's probably what happened. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a fair assumption from their point. I mean, um, uh, then we get a cool flashback, a very brief flashback with, um, uh, Shiro where he is in a colony and uh, a Zaku kind of like pops up and, and mm-hmm. you know obliterates a colony that he's in. Um, so it's kind of like leading back to maybe some of the reasons he joined the military. Yeah. So this is a he's dreaming. It's a it's basically a flashback. Right. Yeah. He was already serving at that point, and this was uh, during one of the gas attacks on side two. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know it was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that's why there's. I mean, it's a somewhat surrealized sequence, right? But that's why they have the um, like the civilian like dying in front of him because he's getting choked out from from gas. So yeah, uh, it's presumably was not Island Ifish uh, because this is presented entirely differently. It doesn't say he's from the colony that got dropped. Yeah, uh, but you can presume he was from one of the colonies that Zeon, uh, you know, attacked during the start of the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, at this point he's like pissed off. Um, he's flailing cause he's like, ah, fuck Zeon. Um, and he wakes up 
with Ina kind of like holding him down, like a calm down, calm down, calm down. Um, and so she had gotten out of the obsolete and then dragged him into a cave. And uh, bandaged his hands up. Yeah. Frostbitten all to yeah. hell, apparently. And then they talk about how much they hate each other's, um, you know, factions. Yeah. Yep. They make out in the Gundam. But that they make out after Shiro finds out that Ina's brother is not her boyfriend. So yeah, I think that it was in, it was while they were trying to melt the water, right? It was it was before that. It was right, right before that. that. Um, she was like, "Ina, I don't, you know, I saw you with a guy." He's like, "She's like, no, that's not right? my my boyfriend." And then they they bang. Did I mention she's twenty, by the way? Okay, she's legal, better than Kiki. I, I just I'm thinking about like a 20 year old is like this, like high end test pilot. It's kind of kind of wild. Love anime age. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So yeah, they uh, they're making out in the uh, the Gundam. And then um, Shiro's like, "Listen, if we're really gonna bang, let's let's do it the right way. Let's make a hot tub." <laughs> yeah, isn't this smooth? I was like, "Oh man, what a." Shiro Amada is the uh, smooth operator here. Listen, I can't get my hands. Let's make a hot tub. You got to remember, like, he is in a small tier of Gundam characters that, like, if you were to rank the Gundam pilots in, like, a tier list of how good they are based on who fucks, like, the top tier is canonically, right? And then, like, right under that, you have, like, definitely, where, like, you know they do, but they, like, they don't during their shows. So, like, you have Shiro Amada in this tier up there with guys like Kiri Yamato and Lock on Stratos uh, and the Gundam Barbatos as, like, the pilots that fuck. That's true. That's true. I like it. You notice I... Never mind. Someone will notice and laugh. Never mind. What? 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 Go for it. No, no. Go back when this comes out and listen to that pilot list carefully. <laughs> If you've watched Iron Blooded Orphans all the way through, you'll appreciate it. He did. He did. He banged. I know, but I said Gundam Barbatos. I just assumed it was because you forgot his name, not because he was jacked into it. No, no. I, I would remember his name if you didn't ask right just now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So he makes he makes a hot tub with a beam saber. Um, they bang some more. Um, the something that was interesting was like she flipped her not. I wouldn't say flipped her shit, but she got pissed when Shira was like, "Oh, you're beautiful, like a doll." Um, she was like, she she basically had like a little flashback um, because her brother treats her like shit. To be fair, that was kind of creepy. I mean, they're in a weird situation. Yeah. Yep, but she then declares she is not just a doll for Genius to play with while giving Shiro a complete full frontal view. <laughs> while playing with uh, Shiro. Like a piece of meat. <laughs> yep, and now we cut to a point that they're just dressed again. So, okay, I can get the subtext. Oh, I get yeah. it. They banged. They got warmed up, yep. Um, now, they're, now they're being mushy uh, as a dog fight happens overhead. Yep. So at this point, um, I guess the storm is kind of like calmed down a little bit and they both have the, their rescue teams both show up and they start brawling with each other. Um, the Federation shows up and they're, they've got two ships actually. They've got two little small like fighter ships. Yeah. And one of them, um, gets near the Opsilus and is about to take the Opsilus. Um, and Ina self-destructs the Opsilus. So this is the Opsilus 2 blowing up, I guess. Um, and it takes out the Federation. Right. Um, Shiro so, looks annoyed, but he never really says anything, which is weird considering like how he starts acting after this point because he's kind of like a pacifist at this point, but he has just seen like his love blow up his the people that were trying to rescue him and everything. I don't know if I think he... I don't know if I'd agree with that he's a, he's a pacifist. He's just more like... Why are we? Well, I guess kind of. He's the he's doing the why are we killing each other? He's fine with killing if they deserve it. Yeah, uh, he's 
he's been fighting Zeon under this pretense of a kind of blind hatred and this revenge based on you know his perception of them from his experience at side two. But now he the enemy is humanized to him now. Yeah. Right. And he's just thinking to himself, we're not not very different. Like why are we doing this? What is, what's going on? You know, so he's just kind of they you know explore this more and it becomes kind of I think what sets him apart yeah as a unique Gundam pilot um, you know in his I mean it, one of the ways it's not the only thing there's certainly been a lot of war questioning Gundam pilots that's almost all of them to some degree but um, yeah. yep so yeah that's kind of what you get from uh, from that one yeah was that a gun parry they blow up I don't remember what those transports are called yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it's very quick because it basically flies up the obsolete and she presses a button and it blows up and it's like, oh, well, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, like this is the end. So this is the end of episode seven. And to me, this is a like the end of episode six, I think, is, you know, there's a uh, I think a 10 month cliffhanger in the actual production schedule. If you look at when they came out between six right. and seven and then seven to eight, there's only, I think, two months or something. They came out pretty quick. Yeah, they came uh, out. October 25th and December 18th for seven and eight. Yeah. So it's pretty quick, but I feel like episode seven is uh, like, yeah. Episode six kind of ends the first part of the show, which is the you know, ground game jungle war and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then seven is kind of this bridge to the later part of the show, which does still have, you know, in, in this episode we're about to talk about, especially in episode eight, it does still have some of that kind of action stuff with the, you know, the real war going on, but yeah, to me, it's a, a turning point for a lot of the characters, if not necessarily the plot itself. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the first part of the Miller's report. Um, up through the part that makes sense in episode eight, I guess. So is is you want to handle it that way or you, or do you want to, well, I mean, they kind of happen concurrently. So yeah, episode eight kind of starts off with him going through his like initial like court martial right. hearing, right? That's also where uh, Miller's report starts off. Right. So the op- the Miller's report um, is a compilation kind of like clip show. That's it's a summary of what happens in episode seven and eight um, and kind of like the Federation investigation of Shiro for his being a spy, right? So, right. like, basically, the the idea is <clears throat> the the Federation has evidence that Shiro was with Ina, and they knew she was a Xeon test pilot mm-hmm. um, testing the Opsilus, and they have real questions as to his integrity and if he's loyal to Federation, especially after everything that's yeah. gone on. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, I think they, they actually kind of describe better in the, in the sh- series, like some of the crazy conspiracies that they believe um, yeah. than they do in the Miller report. But th- they have all sorts of like weird conspiracy theories about like, how Shiro's basically like this crazy spy doing everything. Yeah. The idea was that he was planning to meet up with her for them to steal, like take information back, um, like on the Opsilus or something. But then when they got caught, they had to blow up the Opsilus, something along those lines. Yeah. I feel like there was more to the theory, but it was kind of, it was like super convoluted and I couldn't well, know what we know it was super convoluted, but I think given what they had seen and based off of his, like, I think it's your own malaise towards killing. So uh, all I wrote down was Shiro is under suspicion of espionage. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they have a very, they have a very robust, I like picture of what they think he's doing. Yeah. Which is very much not given our perspective. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of the Miller's report, um, I had I had mentioned over chat to you guys about the animation quality of Shiro's and Miller's hands. Did either of you get a chance to go I, back and look at it? I watched 
Um, I didn't, I didn't look at Miller's hands specifically. I didn't notice anything, but I looked for it on, um, Shira's hands and I didn't, it didn't pop out as weird to me because he was wearing bandages. The cup seemed really tiny. <laughs> I guess that might've been what it was. It was like, so, so essentially, um, Shiro meets with, um, Miller who is, uh, the Federation investigator and yeah, she, hand, she hands him like a coffee because he's still got his hands bandaged from having frostbite and he drinks the coffee um, while she's talking to him. Um, and it, and again, this is a clip show. Like this was like, Hey, let's do this really quick so we can kind of like throw something together for everybody to get caught up on the show. It, it was kind of weird timing because it came out at a point where like there wasn't, it didn't really seem like there was a really long break for this to come out. I don't know really why they did it. Okay, so, all right, first off, I'm so lost by us not talking about episode eight first, but that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll be okay. Uh, the second part is what this was made for um, were a couple of things. When you just go from episode eight into nine, you have some continuity problems. Stuff just changes for no reason. Right. Like, right. Uh, um, we talk about Elador. He's just back. Just back. Yeah. He just he goes from gone to now. He's just returned, mm -hmm. um, and you kind of have Shiro under suspicion, and then not as much suspicion. Now he's just an under observation. So right. they were trying to move the plot along, and what this let them do was kind of go back and and fix some things. But the other thing that they were doing here uh, is that this premiered in theaters as part of a uh, like double feature with Gundam Wing Endless Waltz. And oh. it was marketed as Gundam the movie. So it was part of this bigger marketing uh, thing that they were doing. And at this point, you're in 1998 and you've had, um, hang on, I'm, just, I'm just quickly running through sometimes in my head. So you're a little bit past a year, right? probably a year and a half after Gundam X kind of bombed on them. And I mean, for good reason, uh, I don't think we're ever going to do a podcast on that show, but probably not. It's very plotting and, and very, there are good parts. There are awesome parts and there are a lot of really slow and not good parts. So it failed for good reason. And at this point, turn A is probably in the planning and production stages. Uh, so, you know, the Gundam Wing and the Swaltz OVA was a way to capitalize on, okay, Wing is still at least decently popular. We can give that a follow-up. And then this is additional material that they were able to get out there with that. Um, and uh, also, you know, this is, we talked about the timing of it. There are still two more OVAs that come out after it in, in real life, episodes 11 and 12. And so it's almost a bit of a promotional tool uh, to catch folks up if they want to go and then, you know, buy the last couple of them on tape or, or something like that. Or obviously, so, you know, go buy some more model kits and that kind of stuff. So that, I think, is the, the main thing. Other than marketing, it's just eight comes out, nine comes out, stuff just changes and there's a lot of confused viewers. Yeah. And this, this patches it up. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I uh, I guess when I watched it originally, I didn't see this. So, was, And then I went back and watched it. And I'm like, why did they bother with this? And, and I kind of didn't watch it at the right time to really get much out of it. Uh, and this time I think I did. Yeah, I, I think it did make things a lot more clear. Um, I, I just thought, so what I hinted at and what we talked about very briefly Shiro gets a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee is really tiny. His hands are really tiny. And his body's massive. And the same thing <laughs> with Miller. And, and, and again, it, it's nothing. There's nothing wrong, but it, it, it's kind of like harkens back to when we talked about the, um, the lost episode of the original series. It's just like one of those funny things that you see it and you're like, Oh, it's like the skinny Zaku, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't go back and look, but now I'm sure whenever I happen to see this again, if I mean it'd probably be a decade, but uh, yeah, I'm sure I won't be able to not notice it now. But it's funny, as small as that coffee cup was, he's able to get through recapping episodes one and seven. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. That's the context for the recap is he yes. is telling telling Miller uh, his story. Now, she's one thing that we did skip. So this first part is 10 days after the end of episode six. They say that in the dialogue. And also uh, Alice Miller is there at the Kojima base getting intel on the Absolus because they have that. I mean, we mentioned they had that wreck, but her primary reason for being there, or at least the stated reason, was to get intel for um, Federation headquarters on this mobile armor that was recovered. So she drugged the, the cup of coffee wasn't just coffee. Um, and he wasn't just recalling what happened. He, he was drugged. She roofied him. Um, but she didn't just roofie him. She questioned the rest of his team as well. Um, she, what? She drugged him. Really? Yeah. You didn't oh. get it, she, she didn't explicitly say that she drugged him, but she, he drank the coffee and then his eyes kind of glazed over and he got kind of like, super monotone and so it was heavily implied like you didn't see her drop the roofie in or anything yeah you didn't see it but it was it it was he drank it and then he was talking to her and then he was kind of like he kind of like doubled forward a little bit and she was Uh, like now i need you to tell me what happened what really happened i must have uh i must have had my head down writing something and just don't yeah. remember that part. Uh, yeah. And the the dub, I, I don't know if you guys watched it subtitled, but in the dub, I didn't pick up much of a change in the voice inflection. Yeah, well, I think I watched the dub too, um, whatever Luke gave me. Yes, I watched the dub. Yep. So so at that yeah. point, we're, we're going to shift back to um, episode eight because all of the rest of this happens uh, in episode eight, and then we'll come back to Miller's report Um towards the end of episode eight because this is all kind of like a narrative and yeah uh, if if you're following along with us uh please watch episode eight and then miller's report don't yeah yeah and so the reason the reason i did this is i'm trying to cover it somewhat chronologically so what what happens is episode seven happens shiro comes back and he's questioned and he's questioned by Miller, which happens at the end, beginning of the Miller report, right? And, yep. and part of this is also happening at the very beginning of episode eight, except they don't show Miller. Um, they right. just kind of like show the inquiry into the conduct of Shiro Armada, uh, or Shiro Armada. Um, so Shiro like, Armada. He, he walks in, um, he's kind of like on, on these comm screens and all of these high ranking military officials are kind of like talking to him and questioning him um, for espionage. And then it also kind of transposes um, Ina as well. She's being questioned by Guineas and kind of like, she's not, I don't think he thinks she's committing espionage, but basically he's just like, you're an idiot type thing. Like he, he doesn't, doesn't respect her. Well, and he's also being creepy. Yep. Because he's all like, oh, look at you all dressed nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. You must. But one thing that they that he does do, um, I, think, I think it was him, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he throws down some pictures. So basically while they were together in their hot tub time machine, um, the Xeon uh, was able to get some nudes of them together. Um, and and the, she, he, he shows them. He's like, this is what you were doing while you were down there. Um, you should be ashamed of yourself. Well, yeah, that was part of what I meant by being creepy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, but, but he also like, she was like dressed up nicely and he was like, Oh, you like guys now, do you? You know, like, yeah. He's like, look at these pictures. I'm going to, I'm going to send these to an artist, get a fan dojin made. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's like some, some, uh, thing you can yeah. buy her for like $200 that's in, in that dress. Oh, I don't know. I mean, they did just come out with that statue of her in the pilot suit, uh, pilot suit, unzipping uh, it. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Very provocative. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> moving forward just a little bit, um, it goes back to Shiro. He's talking to the, the military officers, and he basically is like, listen, I believe that, you know, um, we can all kind of live together and, and, and have peace and we don't have to kill each other to like find common goals and everybody laughs at him. Yeah. Like the, the first guard that starts chuckling, that's one of my favorite moments of the show because 
he gives this really like I almost feel like it might have been whoever wrote the script kind of laughing at themselves because they tried to make this like inspirational, you know, Gundam pilot speech, and it's just not very good. It's nah. really not. It, it's very bland. And that first uh, guard starts just kind of like <laughs> he just starts cracking up, and then like the whole crew starts cracking up too. Everybody does. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah. Th so they ask him essentially like if you see the enemy, can you kill him? And Shiro basically says, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm not in a good place for this. Um, and they throw him in his quarters. Confined to quarters. Yeah. So this is again where the, the next part of Miller's report comes in. Yeah. And it's pretty short. But it's, when he's, it's when he's like she pops up uh, again when he's walking back to his quarters, I guess, which I'm surprised they let him freely do. Yeah. So this is uh, the one thing that kind of happens here in between is or at least I, I guess it's implied that this is maybe during the inquiry. Miller is talking to the rest of the team. Right. So she's talking to Sanders and Karen and Miko. Um, and so they're all drinking and they're kind of like. Shiro, no, he, he couldn't be a spy. He just, he wouldn't be good enough at that. There's, <laughs> no, there's way. no way. He's an idiot. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Mikkel, after, um, this is after Alice leaves, he tells Sanders and Karen how he had heard Ina's name, and they're like, don't tell that to anybody, but he, he definitely, he already has. Yeah. He did. And so um, that's how Miller knew Ina's name earlier in the thing. Right, and but so then the commander shows up and threatens Shiro. Um, or sorry, Miller shows up and threatens. Yeah, her. I, was, I was gonna say, yeah, she's she basically gives him the. Is that when she gives him the like? Oh, you're gonna wind up dead. Uh, story for trusting the enemy is that? Yeah, she points the gun at him. There's there's like a lot of inference that like she basically was in a situation somewhere in her career where she had trusted someone too much and they betrayed her. Guys, so like, guys, yeah. Sorry, Lane, I think you are, you are on point on what happens here after the inquiry, but this is not the part where she has a gun pointed at him. Is it not? No, no, sorry. That's the very end of the, the show. Later, yeah. That's the very end of the show. Sorry. So yeah, she still said, she still basically tells him like, you're going to end up being betrayed. There's a lot of hinting that, she has been betrayed in her career by someone and it ended up with like people under her dying. Um, but basically at this point, this um, is where you cut to the rest of episode eight. Yeah. So, but in Miller's report, it gives it kind of like a nice little segue where it's like, yeah, you want to. So at this point, um, everybody hears that Zeon has, is, is basically invading a nearby village and Kiki and her people are in danger. Um, and if you go to episode eight at this point, you see Kiki is with the other rebels observing Xeon troops um, in the area. Um, and basically these, these troops are marching around They're base. They're hungry. They want to get supplies and food and, um, the commander's like, she reminds me a lot of Karen in a way, but mm. a Xeon version of Karen. Um, actually, like a mix of Karen and Shiro, actually, because she's like, let's not hurt anybody. Let's just get the shit we need and get out of here. Yeah, I thought, I wish they kind of did more with her character. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. She's a plot device later. Um, and like Lane said, she's very similar to Karen. But another thing that does happen here that's pretty important as far as what's going on in the Xeon side of things, uh, you've got Admiral Killarney. This is, uh, you know, they are, they're, they've been coming back from Odessa. We know that Odessa is ended in this terrible defeat. And as part of that, a lot of the Xeon forces are trying to uh, regroup back in space. They've essentially given up on Earth at this point. And... Um, Killarney is telling Genius that he's going to use this facility now that he's been using for the Apsils project. That's going to be that their base, like a temporary one. 
because they need his big ship to get to space and the Absolus development is canceled. And uh, Genius doesn't take this very well. Doesn't take this very well at all. Did you get a feeling that in the in the TV show versus Miller's report they played it a lot differently? Because I watching the the TV show it didn't seem as in your face. Miller's report made it sound like, "Hey, I'm going to your base and I own it now." And then like Genius freaks out. Whereas in the show it's much more like plodding along and he's not as devastated because he's like, I'm just going to handle this. Um, I don't think I got that feeling when I was watching it. No, I mean, it's, he's, he shoots the screen. Yeah. I mean, he's pissed. He sees the issues anyway, like either way, like can't handle that rage. It's after he like is about to shoot Ina and he's just out of bullets that he's like, I guess I'll just handle it then. (laughs) Or whatever he says, you know, he's, He's full-blown crazy at this point. I mean, it was already implied. He doesn't have a whole ton of character development, but you can tell he's unstable from the get-go. And this is the, you know, they've canceled his project when he feels like they've made such good progress. And and he don't like that. Yeah, so he basically has a six-shooter. He shoots six bullets, and then he points it at Ina, pulls the trigger, and is like, ah, damn it. <laughs> I forgot how to count. Uh, rage. <laughs> Um, but yeah, after this, we go back to seeing the, the Xeon troops, um, in Kiki's village and they're basically just being dicks. They're like, what's the one thing he drops? Like the, the, the long ax that the, yeah, the, he kind of quote unquote accidentally, uh, drops it. Yeah. Almost kills like a little kid. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was specifically that one guy that seemed to be the biggest uh, bag of dicks the whole time. I, I don't know why, but he seemed to just like have it out for them. Yeah, and I think it's it's like you know you got a bad apple. Um, yeah, it, it's it's weird because you you have in this unit you have the leader, and I I I didn't write her name down. Um, but she was like very much a calming force, like someone res- you would think would be respectable as far as like an enemy pilot would go. Um, and then the rest of her team was just kind of like a, like you said, a bag of dicks. They were they, they just weren't respectable, and like they they wanted they didn't care about the villagers because again these these are Earth people. Like who cares? Um, but at the same time. Um, the Federation does not want or care about saving this village. Um, and th- at this point, this is where the, the Oath team finds out, um, about the village being attacked and these other guys and, and the bar that's with the Oath team is like making fun of Shiro for being a spy yeah, in front of uh, his team. The fifth team. We've seen them a couple of times. Yeah, they showed up in what the first few episodes. They were the ones that were like brawling with uh, Sanders for being the Reaper. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even realize they were the same ones. So the team goes to Shiro, and they're like, "What?" And he's, you know, quote unquote, confined to quarters. But that's like not super. Look, we know. We know how cells work in Gundam. They don't. Yeah. So he's like, "All right, I I order you to go protect this village and." Um, the old man is like, well, let me get you some orders. I've got, you know, signed by the commander and there's a a stack of them right here. (laughs) Definitely not forged. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to really trying to to discourage them, but yeah, they don't end up not really listening. Um, so yeah, now they're just kind of on a stakeout. Shiro is going to suggest that they, uh, really kind of go with sniping tactics here to try to limit the damage to the village. Um, you got Shiro and Mikkel are laying down some fuse. Um, this is where I say, like, it's something about this point. It's This is not where it happens, but I wish this is where Battle in Three Dimensions happens because you see the same bridge and there's a yeah. you know, op going on. But um, the Easy 8 isn't done yet at this point, or at least you haven't seen it yet. Uh, so it doesn't it does not work. 
Um, actually, yeah, he is an A-grade on him at some point, so it doesn't work. Um, so anyway, but now you do cut back to the village, and I think um, what I got down as the name of the Xeon pilot being a dick is Arth. Okay. So um, I, I got the idea that he wasn't necessarily trying to, like, hurt any of them. It seemed like um, the, all of the stuff they were laying down was to, like, smoke them out of the village and just get them out, like, get them away, like, scare them. Be like, this isn't worth the fight that we're going to have to put up. Right? Agree? Disagree? Yeah, I think I think that was the only ones of how I felt. Yeah. Uh, sure. Because at one point, when he meets with the villagers, he, you know, they're like, all right, let's take these guys out. And he's like, no, no, get them to cross over the the river. Oh, like, no, we don't want them to cross over the river. Yeah, we want to fucking kill them. We want to get revenge. Okay, so this is, we've skipped ahead. Um, the, sh the shit has to hit the fan first. And then this okay. is in a, in a little bit of a point after that. So remember what happens here. Arth grabs Kiki with the Zaku because he's like, I'm going to rape you. Not in those words. Right. Yeah. So she throws food at him. And so he then throws her in the Zaku. Um, another villager then shoots a rocket directly into that guy's cockpit. So he's dead. The Xeon pilot being a dick is dead. Um, the others shoot a Zaku in the back, but it's too close to Kiki's dad's house. And uh, he dies. Yep. So he did. And this is where Shiro arrives to try to help. Uh, and then Kiki at that point notices her dad's dead. Yeah. I, I didn't get the feeling it, it, that he was trying to like kill them from the beginning. Anyway, it was more like, let's get them away. Like, right. It, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it, he explicitly says after this situation, let's, Let's just scare them away from the village. And the villagers at this point are like, no, like no. they they've gone too far. We, we want revenge at this point. We're, we're not letting this, this go. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so you got two Zaku's left. Yeah. So Shiro's shooting at one, uh, kind of from below. And then Sanders is takes the arm off of another one. Yeah. He like cock shots at Zaku. Like mm -hmm. he's got some solid aim in this episode, by the way. In all the instances where he f shoots anything, it's good. Yeah, let, let's. I think next episode we'll have to talk about Karen and her piloting abilities and how many Gundam heads she loses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and doesn't she make fun of everybody for their piloting too? She does. She's like presented at the beginning of the show of being a badass, but she's very clearly nah. right. <laughs> and, and and well, it's it's funny too. It's a contrast with Sanders because he's portrayed as oh, this guy's such a bad pilot. His teams always get killed. Yeah, but he always survives. <laughs> uh, and you know, we see him here just sniping a Zaku arm. Like, yeah, whatever. And you know, we learn about all of his confirmed kills. And like, yeah, he's actually pretty good at this. Uh, maybe not tactics, or maybe not like maybe he has bad luck as far as commanders. I mean, he's getting assigned to someone like Shiro Mata, you know. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, you know, he's pretty good at it. So yeah, at this point, Shiro's like demanding that they uh, surrender. Um, and the villagers are going after this Zaku that they've disabled, but then they end up getting hit with some like anti-personnel shrapnel. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, Let's talk about that real quick. Yep. Yeah. That was, so this was the, the commander's Zaku. She gets knocked down and Shiro's trying to tell them, you know, all right, let's let her surrender. Let's make this over. And he's like telling her to surrender. And yep. she's like, no, 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 no. And the villagers are like running up to him, to her. And she's like, well, no, I'm going to fucking kill all these people. So she shoots these things up. And Shiro takes out a freaking pistol. And, tries yeah. to, and he gets two of them, I think. I think he gets two of the yeah. three shells. Um, and then the third shell just obliterates the guys that are attacked. Yep. That was a solid shot. Gotta say. Yeah. Those, I mean, that was legit. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is where, you know, I mentioned that Xeon commander being a plot device ultimately because yep. we've had Shiro being questioned, 
can you still take out the enemy? And once he sees that happen and those villagers, more villagers get killed by shrapnel. Yep. It answers the question. Uh, he, he takes her out. Shiro he will, takes her out. Yeah. He will fight when he needs to fight. Yep. So now everybody is sad and they're mourning all the villagers. They're dead. They're all dead. No, not everybody's dead. Not all the villagers are dead. Uh, but you have Kiki and um, it seemed like it was uh, like Kiki and the kids and like the women and a couple of the frail dudes. Like that's kind of what was left. Yeah, not a, not a whole lot. I mean, I don't think it was meant to be any kind of large village anyway. Um, right. But uh, yeah, and so yeah, Shiro and Mikel are kind of observing that and. Uh, I guess with that's the end of episode eight. So now we're cutting back to Miller's report where he is given a chance to prove his loyalty. So the commander unzips his pants. Wait, that's team America. Oops. Oops. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Prove your loyal. (laughs) No. Um, So yeah, now is where the eighth team is being forced or assigned into a mission. Uh, where they're going to be dropped in behind enemy lines to find out where that base is, uh, which is the, you know, we know from context is the one where the Absolus project is happening. And you imagine the feds are probably interested in it um, just because there's some presumed troop movement going on with uh, Kalarni's forces trying to use that as a rendezvous point to go back to space. Um, yeah. oh, and, and sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, um, so I said they're being forced into it because apparently the, uh, they, their choices are to go on this mission, which has a, it's quoted as saying a less than 8% chance of success, or they'll just put them in front of a firing squad. Yeah. Great this is also where, um, Commander Miller sh- po- shows up, points the gun at Shiro and is basically like, I'm a cap you. Um, and the whole team shows up and kind of like has his back and is like, we'll do whatever we got to do. Um, and Shiro's like, we'll fight this battle, but we're going to fight it my way. We're going to, you know, I'm like, I will kill who I need to kill, but I, I am not going to like try to kill people just because they're listed as my enemy. Yeah. Well, and, uh, so this is where Elador returns as well. Yes. So this is where you have that bridge of, okay, Elidor is now back from the hospital instead of just cutting on episode nine and oh, he's back. Um, So that part kind of gets ironed out here. Um, The other thing, like Miller's a little, (laughs) she's a little bit ethnic cleansy here. And she's like, admit admit you're a Zion. Like it's, yeah. Just go ahead and do it so I can shoot you. It's like, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly a bad decision for me. Yeah. Did you notice the song at the end of Miller's report? What it sounded like? Uh, not specifically. Oh, oh yes. Um, I it, it, I wrote down definitely not "Eye of the Tiger." Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the first few it was definitely. Um, the first 10 seconds of the song was not eye of the tiger. Yeah, I was, I finished up watching uh, Nadesco last weekend and, uh, there was a, the first few bars of one of the background songs in that sounds a lot like, uh, beyond the time from the end of Shar's counterattack. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it just tripped me up. Cause that, that song in Shar's counterattack is not very good. Okay, <laughs> it's not, and it, it only plays in the end credits. Like it's the theme song. It's the end credit song, dude. Anyway, uh, I don't know why they do that with these movies. It's, it's like all the Final Fantasy sh- games have like a, a song by like uh, Utada Hikaru that's just like not that great. But at least they played during the game and not just at the end credits. It's usually just at the end credits, though, right? Uh, Final Fantasy X. It's during the game. Okay. Yeah, I remember that very, very uh, vividly. But uh, anyway, so uh, I think what we ended up skipping here, um, Miller eventually does shoot her gun and miss Shiro. Uh, was, and says, I thought that was intentional, though. Uh, I think it is because they're going on this 
they're like the rest of the team has arrived and they're going on this mission. And I don't think she would have the authority at that point to, you know, take him out. So I, yeah, I think so. But she says that uh, Shiro has made an enemy of the entire world, which is a little bit dramatic, but I think it helps. I, I think it helps with the ending arc of the show yeah. to know that the Federation powers that be are basically like, we don't really care how good you are or if you come back like you're not really welcome here if you come back as the subtext there so yeah then they get on a cargo plane and they take off and yes definitely not eye of the tiger plays <laughs> so since since the next episode's probably going to be um longish since we're going to be covering uh four episodes in a uh, special episode or special like 10 minute show right. let's go ahead i i want to hear from everybody um pilot rankings in the OHMS team in terms of how much we like the pilot or how good of a pilot they are let's go with how good of a pilot and then you can if you want to you can say how much you like them as well all right so i would say norris on the zeon side is probably the best he's presented as the best pilot in the show and then I think Sanders is right behind him. Um, and then I think you've probably got, uh, I don't know, Shiro, Ina, and Karen. But yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to go. Uh, I guess Mikkel is like an in, incomplete, you know. Yeah. And the same with Eldor. He's not even really a. Elidor's more of a of, of just a driver. Yeah, well, and, and Mikael is most of the time, too. Although, if, if we're talking about our favorites, I'm going to say Elidor, because the one time he piloted anything, he wouldn't close the door and got shot the fuck up. <laughs> it was awesome. That's so, true, yeah. yeah. That was probably my favorite, but I, I'm, I'm pretty on par with... I, I don't think there's a lot of debate about the quality of pilots in this in this series. So I'm, I'm going to go a little bit different than Scotty. I'm going to say... Uh, yeah, Norris, definitely the number one pilot. Um, I'm going to go with number two um, being Shiro, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm basing that off of um, episode one when he does the, the space battle in the ball. And just, I think if you look at him in episode two when he's fighting, he he's absolutely like a crappy pilot. But once... He gets up to speed. He does a lot of legit like tactics and battling, um, especially towards the end of the show. And Sanders is number three. He's a cons I, I feel like he's a consistent pilot. He's good, uh, but I don't think he's better than Shiro. Uh, and I would put, I guess, uh, Ina after that. Just uh, hard to tell, really. But it just kind of feels like a matter of course because Karen's just so bad. Yeah, Karen's terrible. Ooh. Karen is just a noisy like i don't mind her i don't mind her character i mean it, it's she has character flaws certainly yes. uh yes. um but I, you know i think uh i think she's likable enough she's relatable as a pilot so. she gets wrecked a lot it, yeah uh-huh yep and we're and especially gonna see that fault. not always but um she gets punked by an at guy in the next episode. <laughs> I think this is the only time an at guy punks anything in the entire universal century. Yeah. I I just I just felt like, yeah. I I, I put um Shiro over Sanders just because the fight in the ball and some I, of the one on one stuff he does, especially with Norris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll I think I think I'll give you that. Um I, I was just thinking about it after I think I think uh, Sanders is a great pilot from what we've seen, but we also haven't seen him doing a lot of things. I think Sanders is maybe if you're looking at like who's a better soldier. Clearly, Sanders. Yeah. Uh, I think as far as like the independent thinking, uh, like Lane mentioned, the tactical element. Yeah, yeah. I think Shiro there. Yeah, I, I think given the same equipment, um, you know, Sanders being under some kind of direct order or instruction might be able to execute in the machine a little bit better. But yeah, Shiro has that more on the fly thinking. So I can, yeah, I can buy that. 
that, and that's why I wanted to bring that up because I, I I knew we would have differences of of opinions on this when it came up. So no, that's all good. I thought it would be interesting to kind of hear everybody's uh, thoughts on that. Or oh, you know, I was just thinking though, thinking like way to the end of the show, does La La count? In 08? Yeah. Why would she count? Um, I'm going to vote no. We'll get there. Did I miss something? Let me open up my notes for the next episode. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm going all the way to the end. Very end. Oh, yeah. no, no. I'm specifically just talking about the 08 MS team. No, I know. I'm going all the way to episode 12. <laughs> Did I miss something? Yeah, and symbolism. Symbolism. Anyway, we'll get there. Next episode, that's the teaser for the listeners if they got through this. <laughs> you guys, after we we turn this off, you need to tell me what I need to watch so I can... Uh... <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, catch us next time. You can hit us up on Twitter, at New Type Flash Pod. Uh, you can hit me up at Skank and Monkey. Scotty is at Scotty underscore underscore P. Luke is at Easy Stuff. You can find all of our links on the show uh, biography. So uh, we will see you next time where we cover episode 9 through 12 and the battle in three dimensions. Thanks and see you then. Hi, Def. <laughs>